So we're on week three of our series, Work Matters, and I hope that the, you've been enjoying it. I've really enjoyed preparing for it, and we're going to read our theme verse together, or verses, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. And Paul tells us, the writer, that whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human bosses or masters, since you know that you're going to receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And so we've read these two verses every week, and and I'm sure you're seeing now kind of the heart behind these verses, is that whatever you do Monday through Friday or as a job, that you're not doing it for people. And, and, and we, we talked about this on week one, but there's no, there, there's no sacred work and secular work. We, t- we tend to, to separate the two. That, well, there's, there's the, you know, I, I work for a nonprofit or I do something like this. It's a, a you know, it's a, a sacred job, but then there's secular jobs. But we don't see that in the New Testament at all, that, that every job is important. Whatever it is that you do, if you're a student, if you build things, if you paint things, if you stay at home with family, if you create things, if you, it doesn't really matter. If you work with your hands, if you don't, you work with your mind. Everything is, is just as important in the eyes of God. Uh, there, there's no uh, sacred jobs and secular jobs. It's all the same in his eyes. And, and so whatever we do, we're doing it for the Lord. And, and, um, and so I, before I jump in, I, I, I wanted to just share a few things with you. Uh, just a couple of little stories. Uh, the boss told me that as a security guard, it's my job to watch the office. I'm on season six, but I'm not sure what it's got to do with security. <laughs> All my office lovers, can I get an amen? All right. Smonday. <laughs> Smonday. The moment when Sunday is overtaken by the sadness and anxiety of the coming Monday. Smonday. Why did the candle quit his job? He was burned out. Did you hear that Larry got a new job working for Old McDonald's Farm? He's the new C-I-E-I-O. <laughs> All right. Last one. Why do birds sing every morning? Because they don't have to go to work. Oh, come on. That was better than you're laughing. All right. Anyways. So this, this morning, we're gonna, I want to talk to you just for a few moments about the rhythm the rhythm of work and rest. The rhythm of work and rest. So the last two weeks, it's been all about work. Uh, we, we've talked about how work is, is, is an attribute of God. The first thing that we see God do in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, is he works. He, he creates. He, he shapes. He forms. And then he places Adam, and he, cre- he makes Adam, and he puts him in this paradise, this garden that we know is the Garden of Eden. And the first commandment that he gives Adam is to work. He says, take care of everything that you see here. Tend it. Uh, you know, this is yours. I've created it for you to take care of. And so he gives, he gives Adam a job. And, and so we see that our work and what we do every day is critically important to, to God. And it's critically important to our lives as well. And that there's a lot that's connected to our, our purpose, our fulfillment in life. So much of that is connected to our work. And, and so today, though, I want to talk about, you know, how do, we, how do we do good work for a long time, right? If you build things, if you make things, like how, how can you finish well? How can you do good work consistently? 
Because it seems like that we, we live in a culture that rewards what I would call workaholics, <laughs> right? Like, like just work, 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 work all the time. And unfortunately, that might get you ahead in some places and you might gain some things, but you're going to lose a lot in the end. Your peace, your well-being, that, that we're not designed to work, 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 work all the time. And I love this because God doesn't really, he doesn't define this work and rest rhythm. He, he models it. He demonstrates it. And I'm going to look at how Jesus worked, and then I'm going to look at how God worked. And so Jesus, he demonstrates this work and rest rhythm in his life, and he invites us into this type of work and rest rhythm that he lived while he was here. In Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to do a series on these two verses this year um, and so I'm excited about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it life rhythms. But Jesus invites those that were following him not to just, just listen to what he had to say, but to live the way that he lived. And he, he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Be my student. For I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. And if you do this, you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so he's, he's talking to us today. He's talking, you know, in context, he's talking to a crowd of people who are overwhelmed, who are overworked, who the religious leaders of that day just put more weight on them than they could bear. They would go to church and have more stuff to do, right? They wouldn't leave encouraged. They wouldn't leave free. They would leave, leave with even more laws and restrictions. And Jesus is saying, this is not the gospel that I've come to preach. I want to invite you into this new way of living. And at, and at surface value, this verse does not make sense. Because what does a yoke have to do with rest and, and, and ease, what, is, what does a yoke have to, like a yoke is a work instrument. I want you to, I want to throw a picture up for you so you can see this. So a yoke would go on a, you know, a set of oxen or a group of oxen and the yoke would be what would basically would attach around their necks and that would be how those animals would carry the load. So this yoke would be attached to them and it was the way they would carry whatever load that they were carrying. If it was people, if it was stuff, if they were plowing a field, and so Jesus is, is not telling us or the crowd he's speaking to to go to Walmart and buy a yoke and wear it around your neck, right? Like a Jesus yoke. He's, the best I can tell is when, he, when he's saying this, what he means is two things. So, so you know, we know Jesus was a rabbi. We know he, he was a teacher. The, the first, like one of the first mentions of, of this is when he was like 12 years old. And, and he got lost, he separated from his parents, and he was in the temple teaching the scholars, and they couldn't believe it. They're like, where did this 12-year-old learn all this stuff? So he, he, was, he was a rabbi. And in that day, uh, the, every rabbi had what was considered a yoke. And that would be two things. It would be the way that they interpreted the Torah, which is the first couple books of the Bible. But then the second thing, it would be how they taught people to just to, to handle the weight of living everyday life, their yoke. This is how you carry life around because I don't have to tell you that life has weight to it. Amen? Like as, as soon, I mean, it doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have, doesn't matter what your job is, there's weight to living this life. 
on the other side of the fall, right, on the other side of the curse, as soon as we begin to live and we come to consciousness and know that, that we're alive and we're conscious and this world is, is, is it's not all that we thought it would be. <laughs> and it's heavy at times. And so every person that's alive is carrying something. And so a rabbi would, would share with them the way that he would carry the burdens of life, work, jobs, right, family, their, their yoke. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to live the way that I'm living, you've got to carry your workload the way that I carry it. And he invites him in. And, and so we're going to look at that for just a few moments today. And what I love about this is, is that Jesus demonstrated, demonstrated how, to, how to carry work and, and, and rest and that rhythm there. But so did God the Father. I think he learned it from his dad. And we see this in the very beginning. I know we've been in Genesis like every week and during this series. But Genesis 1 is God's journal of work. It's him creating the earth and everything we see and know and enjoy, everything that you love about being on this planet, sunsets and sunrises and mountains and beaches. It's a journal of God's work. And then at the end of this journal of work, he does something. And I want you to, to check this out. I'm going to read it. Genesis 2. The heavens and the earth were finished. So he was done. He clocked out. All the hosts of them were done. And then this is what God does on the seventh day. After he'd finished his work that he had done, he rested. On the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day. He blessed it. He made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. All right. So that's, there's a lot there. I grew up in a church that taught that, by, that, that, you know, that God was all-powerful. And so when I read that, it doesn't make sense to me. If, if God is like a, he's a powerhouse, right? God doesn't have to go where to, anywhere to get strength. We do. We got we to gotta eat food. We got to drink water. We got to take care of these bodies, right? Our soul needs food. We, we, gotta, we are supported by outside sources our whole life. From the moment that we come into this you know, debut to this planet, and, and as we, the moment we take our last breath, something outside of ourselves is keeping us alive. But God is not that way. He's self-sufficient. He's omnipotent, right? He's all-powerful. And so why in the world would a God who's all-powerful take a break? Isaiah says this, Isaiah 40, have you not known, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He doesn't get tired. He doesn't grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no strength, he increases it. So he is the source of strength. Why does the source of strength need to take a break? And I think God did this, and he put it right in the very beginning of our Bible, in the, you know, the very first book, because he was modeling it. Because the first thing that he asked Adam to do was to work. And so it would make sense if I'm the devil for a moment. Let's play the devil's advocate. If I'm the devil, where's the first place I'm going to attack in a person's life? The first thing that God told them to do. And so I think he knew. He didn't need the rest. God didn't need it. I think he was modeling it for us. And the first thing that I, when it comes to this work and rest rhythm in our life, the way that we view work will determine how we rest. The way that I view work will determine how I rest. And so I, I think that we, you know, the, the, the drug of the 21st century 
is, is not something you can buy on the street corner. It's not so much something that's coming across the border. It's work. It's achievement. We're sold that from the moment that we, you know, as soon as we start school, it's work hard and you can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want to be. And so we, we, we take off running. Mary Bell wrote it like this. Achievement is the alcohol of our time. Because you can be hooked to achievement and you'll get promoted. You can be addicted to success and work and really love it so much. And more than likely, your boss is going to like that. Now, you come home, you come to work with alcohol in your breath every day, they're going to say something. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's hard to hide that. And a manager is not going to like that. But if you are just overwhelmed and you just work, 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 work all the time, hey, call me on my days off, I'll come in. Like, that'll get you so far for so long but it catches up to you. And there's a rhythm, and I don't want to call it a balance because it's a rhythm. It's a part of our everyday routine. And unfortunately, our, our culture just celebrates working all the time. There was this law that was established by this um, doctor. His last name was Parkinson's. He calls it Parkinson's Law. And it basically says this, that work will fill up the amount of time that you give it. So if you just make yourself available all the time, guess what? Boss man is going to call you. See, he's going to find something for you to do, something you need to do. And again, if you love to work and you love your job, it's like, I mean, it can, it can, at times it's a good thing, but it can become a bad thing really quickly. And so, so work is not the problem. It's our perspective of work. It's our perspective of work. Work is a good thing. It's a godly thing. But when we make it our source, it can become a bad thing. When we look at work as, as okay, the harder, like, like it's up to me to provide, things like that. It's all on my shoulders. If I don't do it, it's not going to get done. Like if we live with the weight of the world and, and we kind of make it all about me and what I can do and what I can accomplish, we turn a good thing into an ultimate thing. I think that's why our forefathers put in God we trust on our money. Because he knew people would, would trust in it. And we live in a culture that thinks, well, if I can get enough money, I can just take a break. I can, I'm done. If I can just work hard enough and save a clean million, right? I can just retire out here at Portofino and, uh, and just take it easy for the rest of my life. And, and, and we believe that until we do it. And you're like, no. I really do. I think that's why our forefathers put it on our money because he knew that our hearts would, would want to trust in that and not the creator God. Because your boss may sign your paycheck, but he is not your source. You may have different sources here and there and money and streams of income, but that's not the ultimate source in your life. And you'll find that out when you lose a job, right? Or one of the sources dries up and now you're going back to God saying, Lord, I, I need you here. Because it's really easy to trust in something that's temporary. God's saying, I don't want you to do that. How you view, view your work is so critical. Tim Keller says this about, about idols. I think work for a lot of people, and I know it has been for me, was an idol. It was an idol. This is how he defines an idol. It's, it means imagining and trusting anything to deliver the control, security, significance, satisfaction, and beauty that only the real God can give. It means turning a good thing into an ultimate thing. 
And so the Bible has a word for somebody who works, 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 and never rests. It's called slavery. Seriously, it's all, the book of Proverbs is full of it. That's the word that the Bible uses for the person who's addicted to work and doesn't know how to take a rest and doesn't know how to stop and doesn't know how to take a break. And, and so, I, again, I'm, I know I'm preaching right now because it's getting quiet. And so let's, let's, uh, let's, let's switch gears here. And I want to read, read that verse in Matthew 11 again, but I want to read it in a different translation. It's a paraphrase version. Um, Eugene Peterson wrote this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion or whatever? You fill in the blank. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll get your life back. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Somebody say real rest. So there must be a fake one. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I'm not going to lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Anybody want some of that in their life this morning? All right, we're going to spend the next couple of minutes talking about real rest. What does it mean to take a real rest, a Sabbath? So how I view work will determine how I rest, and how I rest will determine how I work. They're related. You'll never be at your best if you're not taking this seriously, and it doesn't matter what you do. If you're an athlete, if you're a doctor, if you're in a boardroom on Monday morning, if you run big things, or if you're at home with family, if this principle is not a part of your daily spiritual life, you're, you're eventually going to hit a wall. It could come in the form of a diagnosis, could come in the form of a panic attack, could come in the form of a, of a heart mutter, right? Or mummer, mutter, mutter, mummer. So help me out, y'all. Come on. It could come in the form of, of just like overwhelming stress sleepless nights it'll show up in all these different places and it, the real symptom may just be that this, this whole sabbath thing god put in the ten commandments it was like in the top five like it was more important than killing people he's like you can get away with that go ahead just you know just do, but but are, are you practicing sabbath what does it mean to take a real rest? So for a long time, I, I didn't grow up in church. I was raised Catholic, got out of church for a long time. Then I started going to this church, um, a church in Pace. And I remember they took Sundays super seriously. They took Sabbath. And the way that they practiced Sabbath was this. You did nothing on Sunday but go to church. You rolled out of bed. You went to Sunday school. You went to church. You rolled to the buffet. You, hit, you got a lot of food, and you rolled home, and you took a nap, watched something spiritual, and then you rolled back to church Sunday night, and you didn't do anything else. And it was so critical. Like, I remember hiding my surfboard in the back of my truck because I would leave church and go surfing, and I would lie to people about it. I'd be like, oh, I got to go by. I was working at Pepsi at the time. I got to go into work. And, uh, you know, but I would literally put a blanket over my surfboard and I would come out here and I would go between Navarre and Pensacola Pier and surf by myself because I was afraid somebody would see me. Because the way that they, the way that I thought at the time that you were supposed to Sabbath was if it didn't involve eating or gospel programming or church, you don't do it. And I think now that can't be, it can't be any farther from the truth. That Sabbath Jesus said it this way. You know, the Pharisees were always trying to trip him up. They were like, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? 
Is it okay to, if your ox falls in a ditch, can you pull it out on the Sabbath? Like they were always trying to, to get Jesus to make a mistake. And Jesus said it simply, Sabbath was made for man. And I think when it comes to Sabbath and rest, recreation is a big part of it. What do you love to do? I, like, I love to serve. Some people like to golf. Some people like to hunt. Some people like to fish. Some people like being on the boat. Some people like to shop. My wife, come on. I'm just kidding. Like, like, like so, you know, I'm okay. Like, what is it you love to do? That is what you should do. Does it, ask these questions. Okay, on my days off, when I'm Sabbathing, I'm taking a rest, is what I'm doing bringing me, is it life-giving or is it life-taking? Because if this whole principle of coming to church is the only way you could Sabbath, how does a pastor Sabbath? I mean, I'm working right now. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing, like, this is a work day for me. So, so how does that work? And it, I don't think that's what Jesus meant at all. I don't think what the, that's what the principle meant at all. It was that God wants you to have fun, and the word Sabbath means to cease and desist. So the second question I want you to ask when you're resting is this bringing life to me? Is this bringing, is this bringing joy to me? I was at a retreat last, last year, a pastor's retreat. And um, it, was right, it, was in women, um, it was in South Carolina. And I was with like 20 other pastors and they were doing stuff. It was just having fun. We were just having fun. It was like a Sabbath. It was awesome. And one day everybody went fishing and I just didn't feel like fishing. I'm like, you know, and not with 20 guys on, a, on one boat. I'm like, y'all go have it. I can catch redfish, you know, I can do that. And I just stayed back by myself. And some of the employees were there and uh, they were like, hey, you wanna, you wanna go chop wood with us? I was like, you know what? I do. <laughs> and we went out and they had just got this wood splitter, this hydraulic wood splitter. And we're out there chopping wood. And I was telling them, you know, I, a lot of Saturdays or my day off for Friday, I go and chop wood. And this guy, he, I'll never forget this. He said, this is what my dad used to say about Sabbath. He said, if you work with your head, you Sabbath with your hands. If you work with your hands, you Sabbath with your head. And I think there's a lot of truth there. That if your work, if your job is, requires a lot out of your mind, then maybe the Sabbath for you is chopping down some trees, splitting some wood, driving a tractor. I don't know. But if you're working a lot with your, you know, with, with your hands and you're laboring, then Sabbath is going to look different for you. But I think the big thing is, is it life-giving? Second question, am I connected to my work still? So when I'm resting, am I still connected to my work? I love that email. Hey, I'm going on vacation. I'm going to be gone for seven days. I'll be, I'll be available by email. I'll be checking my email every afternoon, and I'm thinking, you're not going on vacation. And I know it seems silly, and it's just one email, but how connected are you to your work when you're resting? And I remember working a job. I was on call a lot for Pepsi, and it seemed like every time I was, I was on call, I had to go in 2 and 3 in the morning. Something would break. And, and it was like I never really got to rest, even on my days off, because I had that phone on my hip. And so are you able to really rest? Are you able to get away from whatever it is that you do during the week? And if you can't, you should ask your, your boss or your supervisor, 
hey, this is a part of my religion, okay? That tell them, like my pastor said that I need to ask you that if I could, when I'm off, I'm off. Don't call me. Don't send a messenger or retriever dog. Don't send a messenger pigeon to my house. I'm, I'm out. I'm resting. If the place burns down, call the fire department. Some of you are getting uncomfortable right now because you're like, you don't know my job. I got to be there. I run it. It's mine. I got to do it. I'm like, okay, well, maybe you're God now. I don't, I don't know. But sometimes you got to remove yourself out of the center and say, if things fall apart, good. I'm taking a break. There's a real rest. There's a fake rest. Third question is how connected am I to the world when I rest? How connected am I to the world? That, that word sanctuary, and that's what church, I hope, is for you, is a sanctuary. It has nothing to do with buildings. It has nothing to do with brick and mortar. That word sanctuary means safe place, oasis, a place of refreshing, and a place of God's presence. But here's the problem in the 21st century. We take a break, and we plan the trip, and we go on a hike, or we go camping or whatever, we take that vacation, we go to the mountains, but we bring the world with us in our pocket. And we carry it everywhere. And instead of hiking and enjoying nature, we're getting selfies. I can't believe it. I, I mean, I'll walk the beach during spring break and it's the most beautiful place in the world and everybody's on their phone. That's not a real rest. I mean, if you go, you spend all that money to go on vacation and binge on Netflix and sit on social media the whole time, you're not resting because you brought the world with you. How often are you unavailable? How often can nobody get a hold of you? It should be quite a bit. You're like, you, you are crazy. You're just a young kid. You don't know what you're talking <laughs> Let me read this to you. Let me read this to you before you start throwing tomatoes at me. John, let's see, where is it at? Jesus often withdrew, Luke 5, into the wilderness, lonely places, to pray. To, you know, you fill in the blank. He wasn't available. The disciples were wigging out lots of times like, Jesus, hey, there's a crowd here, and they're all sick, and they all need you. Where are you? Right? Constantly you see this. He disappears up a mountain. Nobody knows where he's at. He gets on a boat, doesn't leave a note or nothing. He did it all the time. And so how available are you to the world? Are you constantly connected? It's poor, it's poor spiritual hygiene to be constantly connected to the world all the time. You'll never find real rest. You'll never find, you'll never be able to really get what you need from God if that phone is constantly buzzing in your pocket 24-7. Turn it off. Leave it at home. Go on vacation and just bring a burner phone. Seriously, I've done it. Here's my number. If something crazy bad happens, like if my house is on fire, call the fire department first and then send me a text and let me know. Like, 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 dude, I, I mean, it's so good for your soul to disconnect. And it's the only way to really get what God wants to say. And this whole idea of Sabbath, again, it's cease and desist. It's stopping whatever you do Monday through Friday so that you can receive from God what he has for you. 
And this is why it's so important. I, I, I mean, I, I believe this. How did Jesus do what he did? It was like he, he wasn't just wandering around. He clearly had a plan. He clearly had an agenda. He would say things like, I must go through Samaria. He had a calendar and a schedule. He knew where he was going and what he was, what he was going to do. And I think it was in these moments of rest and Sabbath and disappearing from everyone where he would get the download he needed for what he was about to do. His ministry started, it was three years, but it started in the wilderness, right? It took 40 days and he disconnected and he disappeared. And so the idea here, this rhythm of work and rest is not that I work, 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 work so that I can finally take a vacation and breathe a little bit. That's kind of how it's presented a lot of times. It's no, I, I work from rest. These moments are so important in my life that I get away and I disconnect, that I, I'm putting the big rocks in my calendar first, and it's in these moments of Sabbath and rest and disconnecting and doing what you love to do, whatever that may be, it's in those moments where God fills you up so that you can show fully back up on Monday. And God wants this for you. He wants you to work from rest, not for it. He doesn't want you to feel like you have to earn this. That this is something you got to like, like, and, and I, one of the questions that I've always thought about, and I don't know the answer to, is what is, what was God doing before Genesis 1? Before creation, before he said, all right, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right, so what was going on before that? It's like my brain just kind of blanks out when I try to think back that way. St. Augustine was asked that question, and he said, he was preparing a place called hell for people who ask those types of questions. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. That's, he was like, just don't even talk about it. But, what, like, like, but really, like, what was he doing? The only verse that I could find was in John 1. It's, it's, so it talks about in the beginning was the word, right, Jesus, and the word was with God. So in the beginning, to me, it's like before creation, we, we almost have this picture of, of the Trinity with one another. And I know this seems simple, but it would be like if your boss texts you on a Saturday and needed something, you said, hey, I'm with my family. What does that mean? Leave me alone. Right? Hey, I'm with my whatever. Hey, I'm with. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. So I believe God modeled this. He created from a place of community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, together, and he created from a place of rest. And we'll never do our best work if we're not doing this, if we're not practicing this. I, if practicing this, and again, I'm preaching to the choir because I'm, you know, I don't always do this. And so here, here's the last thing, and then we're, we're going to close. I want you to see this, Genesis 2. I'm going to read the same verses again. The heavens and the earth were finished. Somebody say Finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished. Somebody say finished. Well, if it was finished on the sixth day, how was it finished again on the seventh day? God finished his work that he had done. How? Because he rested. And I want you to catch this. There's always going to be more for you to do, and it's always going to feel like there's more, you know, 
month than you have time for and more stuff to do and the to-do list just gets bigger and bigger and bigger you're never going to get to a point where you can say okay I've checked every box I can take a break because you're never going to check every box you're just going to have to say this is where I'm at this is what I've done so far and I'm shutting it down here and I'm going to rest because until we make this a part of our rhythm of life and routine work will never be done you're, you're going to be thinking about it on Friday and on Saturday and on Sunday. And it's going to be in your mind. It's going to be constant. Why did God make this such a priority and why did he model it for us? I think it's because when we step back from whatever it is that we do and we cease and desist, whatever your work is, it gives God the opportunity to step in and do his work. Because when you're not working on the seventh day, guess who is? And when we had this idea in our mind that everything's going to fall apart if I'm not there all the time, God didn't say that to you. Put horns on that because it's not from God. This idea that I have to be here for it to run and I have to be here for things to get done. And if I don't show up, it's all going to fall apart. And it's all on my shoulders. That is a lie from the enemy. Because what happens is when you step back and you let it go, sometimes things have to fall apart. Sometimes things need to not get done. And it's part of the way that, that things get better and things improve. And that work, your work, will never be complete until you rest. Because when you rest, God works. When you rest, God works. And we need this in our life. We need this in our life. And so I want to close a little differently. If you would just... just bow your head and I'm going to ask the prayer team to come on up right now because I feel like God asked me to pray for for these specific things and if you're here this morning and you've been having trouble sleeping I know this sounds strange you've just like work is keeping you up you can't really fully sleep because it's just bothering you God specifically told me to pray for people in here that have not been able to rest. You haven't even been dreaming because you're not getting the sleep you need. You're not even getting into REM sleep where you can dream, and God wants you to do that. So if you've been having trouble sleeping, I want to pray for you. And the second thing God told me is that if you've had any kind of issue with your heart, if it's a murmur, if it's just pressure, stress, the Bible talks about there's going to be a day where men's hearts will fail them for fear. That the overwhelming burden of life will become so much that it's going to stress people to the point where their, their heart doesn't function the way that it needs to function. And if, if you are here and that's you, those two things, sleep and heart, I want to pray for you. And so just slip your hand up if that's you because I felt like, thank you, thank you. All right, God, I just pray for everybody in here that just lifted their hands. Lord, I, pr I pray just for a deep rest, just a soul rest. God, help them go, even today, let them go home and just take a nap and just sleep and dream and not worry. I pray for the troubled hearts, those that, that maybe have had some kind of diagnosis in the last year or two. Whatever it may be, God, I, I just, I know 
that you are the great physician. And if you raise your hand and you, if something's going on with your heart, I want you to put your hand over your heart right now. If you see somebody doing that, put your hand on their shoulder. Put your hand over your heart because God created you and he created that heart and he breathed life into you and he can do work. He can heal hearts. I believe it. He can heal murmurs. He can heal different things that happen to us in life. He can, he can unclog arteries. He can do things that maybe even we've gone to the doctors and, and they've run out of answers or they've run out of solutions. God can do the impossible. So put your hand over your heart. And right now, Lord, I pray for every person that's something's going on on the inside. Something's going on with their heart. I just pray for your healing. You said in Isaiah 53, with your stripes, we are healed. Mind, body, and soul. And so I pray for every heart in this place, right? And every person that may have had something going on with their heart, I pray for healing in the name of Jesus. God, if that healing comes through the modern medicine, praise God. If that healing comes through uh, natural healing, praise God. If that healing comes through right now, a miracle that you work in their heart, praise God. But I just believe right now with my friends and family that you're going to heal hearts in this place. Whatever it may be, whatever the diagnosis may be, you created our hearts and you can heal our hearts. And so, Lord, we just thank you and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.